Hello, I'm Jen Long and you are listening to Talk The Line. We upload a new episode every Friday talking to a musician about something they're passionate about. It's their hobby, it's their little secret, it's the thing that they don't normally get to bang on about in regular press interviews. You can follow us on Twitter at TalkTheLine. You can follow me at Jen Long. And if you want to check out our previous episodes, they are all at TalkTheLine.blog from Anne-Marie to Metronomy. And if you really like this podcast, please subscribe. It's super easy and it means you never have to go and search it out on a Friday again. It just gets delivered automatically to your podcast listening device. The staves are Emily, Jessica and Camilla, three sisters who cut their teeth performing together at open mic nights in Watford, their home city an hour north of London. The trio put out their first EP in 2010 and backed up Tom Jones on his comeback gospel record Praise and Blame that same year. The band are longtime friends of Justin Vernon from Boniver who produced their 2015 album If I Was at his studio in Euclid, Wisconsin. The oldest of the staves is Emily. On the first staves record, Dead and Born and Grown, she was notable by dropping the F-bomb on the track Pay Us No Mind. She says, there are times when I just need to say fuck. It's a great word, and sometimes it's the only word. I'm talking to Emily about adults' obsession with fantasy fiction, the kind of books that are sort of written for kids, but she still loves, especially focusing on Philip Pullman's his Dark Materials trilogy, The Chronicles of Narnia and The Lord of the Rings. Also, stay tuned at the end of this podcast for a special message from Emily. I was a little apprehensive when you picked your subject. <laughs> well, I told my friend that I was um, going to talk about uh, fantasy books and he said, what, like Fifty Shades? So No. Yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of opinions flying around. Um, why were you apprehensive? Just cause it's like something that I've never really, that I never really got into. So okay. I said that we weren't going to talk about Harry Potter on this podcast because mm-hmm. I kind of want to save that for it's just its own standalone yes. subject. Can I have so like three, can I have three Potters? Can I mention it three times, but not in great detail? Yeah, I feel like we can reference it. Okay. Just like not, I just want to do like a whole hour on Harry. Yep, I think that's fair. But um, I had never, like, had never even read or seen any Harry Potter movies until the start of last year. Well, don't bother with the movies. They're a whole bag of shit. <laughs> I've done it all now. Oh. It was my New Year's resolution last God. year. That's a pretty easy <laughs> resolution. You don't push yourself very hard. <laughs> well, uh, this year it's learning French, so... Oh, right. Oh, okay. Mm. So, one on, one off. Said très mode. Uh, oui. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, um... But yeah, it's totally out of my realm of knowledge. My my girlfriend loves like all the Neil Gaiman stuff and all the Terry Pratchett and mm. and uh, and like it's just another world to me. And so I was like, shit, I'm gonna have to like really do some research before we have this chat. Well, you don't really because I am not a huge um, expert at all. It's not like a massive part of my life. I just feel very very attached in very many strong <laughs> ways to the fantasy books that I love but I don't know any of them and I'm not a snob about it either so I've never read Lord of the Rings but the films are so much a part of my soul they're kind of only a few steps away from like John Lennon so 
they're really they really mean so much <laughs> to me <laughs> and as do the harry potter books yeah. but not the films i will say thank you for bringing the his dark materials trilogy into my life though oh did you like it i've, I've i'm halfway through the second novel at the moment and I'm really, really enjoying it. I love them so much. Me and both my sisters um, just fell super hard for them when they came out. And um, the third one is the trickiest. Um, but but yeah, they're amazing. And the first one, I must have... Well, I've definitely read it twice. And then I'm also a massive audiobook junkie. So... Um, for anyone listening who hasn't heard the audiobooks of um, His Dark Materials, I can't recommend them highly enough. They're so good. So they're narrated by Philip Pullman, the author, and they're multi-voiced, um, and they're just amazing. So I've just lis- I just listen to it every at least every year, um, particularly the first book. That's quite unusual to be <laughs> narrated by the author, isn't it? Yeah, he didn't do the new one. He didn't do um, The Book of Dust. Right. I think Michael Sheen did it. Oh. But also smart. Yeah. There's a lot of money to be made in a voiceovers yes. for audiobooks. That's what I want to do. I would love to read audiobooks. <laughs> my, my grandma is, um, is blind, bless her. And she... Um, but before she went blind, she was an avid reader. And she's very kind of intellectual and I went to drama school and um to keep her sort of up to date like we would write to each other quite a lot until her handwriting got so bad that it was just like what (laughs) seriously you're blind you can't write this anymore um but I would record on mini disc player um the plays that we were doing and so I'd do the voices and stuff so that she could know what we were doing plus it was good like rehearsal for me and line learning and all that stuff so, I don't know, storytelling, something about sharing stories um, and the more kind of fantastical and magical. And you said earlier, like, they're like another world. Well, they are another world. And <laughs> it's the ultimate escapism. And I absolutely love them. What's best to start with then? Is it best that we start with the Lord of the Rings trilogy? Because sure. everyone's seen those films, haven't they? Yeah. I mean, everyone, in- actually including me. I think I I never I didn't really watch them when I came when they came out I wasn't particularly interested mm-hmm. but my younger brother adored them and he really wanted to go and see the final one at the cinema but he wasn't quite old enough to make the trip to Guildford by himself mm-hmm. and I just remember the day before I like I agreed to take him and then the day before watching the first two films in a row and that's basically your whole day gone yeah that's pretty heavy and then I dreamed Lord of the Rings that night you dreamt really do. dreamed. Yeah, never know. Never know. Learnt, learned. Spelt, spelled. We mm. don't know. The next day, I just remember going to the cinema and sitting there for what felt like an eternity. Mm-hmm. And that third film, it just didn't end. No. They thought it was going to end. It just carried on. Yeah, there are three points where it could have ended. <laughs> and then it, it just didn't. <laughs> I watched the first film again in preparation for this. Um, but I made the mistake of borrowing a DVD from a friend that was the extended edition. It's not a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the scene changes are a little bit choppy, eh? Are they? God. Yeah. Do you know, I haven't seen them for a while, but <laughs> we had them, yeah, we had a lot on 
all the extended videos this was um, back in the day and Aragorn um still figures pretty heavily in my (laughs) in my daily uh thoughts I don't know why is it so important to me I think really it goes back to to childhood and to like did you enjoy fairy tales when you were little uh I don't know about fairy tales I definitely liked Roald Dahl I think as I got a bit older I like the books of Stephen King. Oh, yeah. Yeah. God, scary. So scary. Well, I just sort of thought, well, every child loves being read to and every child loves fairy tales and that, yeah, that, that escapism or that the magic of a completely made-up, imaginative world. Um, but perhaps that's not true. Perhaps that's... Perhaps that's just my experience and and some other children's experience. But I was reading a bit about fairy tales and because um, I've I've got a few experiences of them. First is the Brothers Grimm uh, books, which my dad used to read to us when we were little, and they're super bloody. They're so much more gory and gruesome than the kind of I don't know the, the Ladybird versions that you know. And my favourite one was um, Fitch's Bird, a.k.a. The Bloody Basin. And there's this girl, and she's... They're all awful stories, really. They're all like, you know, this 13-year-old girl is married to this hideous king, and then she has to go and live in his um, house, and he's obviously got mental health problems, and like, you can't go in this room, and I'm going to be out every day, and it's very abusive. (laughs) But you kind of don't focus on that when you're a kid. You're just like, okay, this is what's happening, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and then she is forbidden to go into this one room. And I think what happens is she goes in one day and sees just a whole heap of corpses um, of girls that he's um, killed, li- like her. Um, and she touches one of them and gets a spot of blood on her hand. And it won't come off. And so when... Her oh, husband, like Lady Macbeth, isn't it? Yeah, and when her husband comes home, it's like, let me see your hands. And she's like, oh, and then he knows and he's going to chop her up. And something happens. She rolls around in some honey, covers herself in feathers, becomes <laughs> a bird and somehow escapes. So <laughs> it, it just went it? from terrifying to hilarious. Yeah, but the, the terror is the bit that I loved as a as a kid. And I, that's what kids love, like this gruesome stuff. And you always think that they can't handle it and you sort of, um, I don't know, kind of baby them. But it's that stuff that, that they really love. And so I was thinking, well, what is it about that that isn't frightening to a child? It's just kind of, it's enjoyably gruesome. And I wondered if it was something to do with the it's a safe space to be scared in you know it's an other world so it's not going to happen to you you're a child you live here you don't live in a world where this happens and you're safe you know you're probably on your parents lap or something and they're reading to you and you're allowed to kind of experience all of these emotions of like real terror or real anger at the villain um usually the stepmother or the wolf or whoever um, and there are all these kind of archetypes in there that you can relate to. Like, you, you relate to the hero. We are Frodo. 
um, <laughs> and like the burden of that ring and stuff. And I kind of feel more like Samwise Ganji, to be honest. Nice. <laughs> I actually often feel more like Gimli, um, the dwarf. Uh, yeah, which is a nickname of mine. Seriously? Seriously. Where did that originate? Well, partly because my boyfriend's niece, when she was very little, couldn't say Emily and just called me Gimli. <laughs> um, and uh, with no knowledge of Lord of the Rings. So the ginger one? Yeah. Right. Yeah. You'll have to toss me. <laughs> I can't even make the jump. You'll have to toss me. Don't tell the elf. Yeah, that guy. I mean, I don't see a resemblance, if I'm being honest. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, they are... Um, I, I think they're, they're incredibly important, these stories, when you're little, to be able to... Even to be able to, say, like, show anger towards... Which is a really natural emotion for kids, but you don't really get to show it to to adults... It's not appropriate. You can't be that cross with your parents and s- stuff like that. So it, I don't know. You can get all of that stuff out and you can explore, like, what would I do if I was scared and alone? What would I do if this person tried to tempt me? Or what? I don't know. And it, maybe that's why we want to hear them again and again and again. It's something soothing about repetition, but maybe it's deeper than that. Maybe we're kind of trying out different roles in our heads or we're working out different scenarios and things like that i don't know i don't know maybe it's also has to do with um your sense of risk because i think i heard somewhere that your your actual sense of risk doesn't properly um kind of mature until you're about 22 23 oh wow which is why when we're like teenagers we're just fearless and we're like yeah i'm just gonna drink all the booze and then walk home alone in the middle of the road and everything will be fine yeah yeah oh you're so right 22 i think something like that because i i like used to love scary films i used to love horror movies Mm. i used to like eat them up all of them and i was like 15 at the time yeah i'm terrified i literally can barely watch something with mild peril (laughs) we watched like sad films oh my god anything that like pulls the emotional heartstrings yeah i'm just in floods of tears like i'm like weeping my girlfriend's like can you please stop blowing your nose it's so annoying i'm like (gasps) he didn't get to see his kids grow up yeah i mean that is harsh I um I think I've always been like that. <laughs> it but it has got worse definitely over the last sort of 10 years. I now cry at any Christmas adverts. Um the Sainsbury's advert where there was um all sorts of different people having Christmases and one guy was like an older man and he'd drawn up a spreadsheet for the timings of how to cook the Christmas dinner and he'd got it all perfectly right and then it zoomed out and he was just eating Christmas dinner alone at the table. Oh God. I mean that would set me off 100 percent Christmas ad I just with the old man in the moon can't that was a killer. I actually didn't love that. You didn't oh my god. I did love that everyone on Twitter was like, why is there a pedo on the moon? Like fucking hell <laughs> I don't know why Twitter is now northern. Like, out a fucking pedo on moon. Um, but yeah, I thought that the was The Amazon advert with the dog that the baby doesn't like, so they get the dog the mane and it becomes a lion. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. Tears, floods, yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah, maybe that's, maybe it's something to do with how we age emotionally. Yeah, I think that's a really, a really good point. And, but what I like about, 
fantasy is that it does seem to be something which is it's not age specific parents enjoy reading these stories to their kids like going to see lord of the rings in the cinema there are children of seven there and there are people my parents age who read the books when they were growing up my brother still obsessed with it yeah yeah it it just it just goes on and on and and that's really interesting to me as well like why they're still relevant you can still identify there's something that still pulls you back and again and again like so they're the only books that I reread I have so many mm. books at home but the only ones that I really dig back into are these fantasy books and I don't know if it's something deeply wrong with me that I <laughs> I have unresolved childhood issues or I haven't grown up properly or um <laughs> or something like that or if it's this desire for yeah to complete escapism a completely other world to immerse yourself in or is there something more is there a psychological need that's being met through these stories um, that makes them kind of universal and yeah, and and ageless in a in a way? Maybe it does have to do with the other world thing because so many novels are just set in the world we live in. So you know, yeah. there's an element of escapism and they're enjoyable, but you finish them and you put them down, or you give the book to a friend and you never really go back and revisit so there's a few few novels that i have reread yeah. over the years but majority of stories you finish them and you move on yeah maybe it is that thing of being so encapsulated and kind of taken away in this other world that the only way you can ever visit it is by rereading those books like there's no other texts that are yeah. going to be set in the world of lyra silvertongue or the world of aragon and frodo yeah and i think as well from being set in other worlds they remove a lot of the um noise that we have in today's society um so you can see to the very core of the story so much quicker you know it's not like imagine if frodo had a fucking iphone <laughs> like it would have taken forever it would have been like hashtag <laughs> the one ring trending on Twitter and like OMG like what the fuck <laughs> so they don't have any of these things to worry about and there's no like it's not like oh we're running out of money or like you know it's all about what's morally right to do and uh, do I have the strength and the bravery to stand up for this and self-doubt but friendship and those things rather than I've got to go and do the shopping and who's cooking and I, I don't know. I mean, those the books are really detailed, but mm. those things that that really enslave us in in the modern world are not present in most of those stories. And in uh, I went to see Philip Pullman talk um, when the Book of Dust was released and there was a little Q&A afterwards and, and someone said, you know, what would you think it would have been like if um, Lyra had had access to social media? And like, he just sort of <laughs> laughed and, and as did a lot of us, but <laughs> it would have been a completely, it would have been a m much harder job to get to the core of, 
to get to the real heart of the story and the characters, I think. I mean, it would have been her in the cupboard at the start, just Googling what is dust. Right. Story over. Yeah. <laughs> or Wikipedia says, so <laughs> take that. Um, yeah, in fact, I think the question was, what do you think Lyra would have been like in a world where she had been exposed to pornography online from okay. the age of that eight? That is a or weird, something. weird question. It was. I think it was from ask. a child. Um, <laughs> but there was a there was a discussion going on about about um, about ages, and he said that he did write those books for young people, but he didn't want them to be read only by young people. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, and people were saying, you know, why is it that you think these books are so popular with with old and young readers? And he was sort of saying, don't know really. Um, but yeah, it's it's fascinating to me. You know, I mean, fairy stories. Obviously, there's no modern trappings. I mean, occasionally you'd get a maybe a train or something, but there's never there's not even cars or, or anything. Yeah. So. It's all about like what makes us human. There's life, there's death, there's fear, there's courage, there's love, there's evil and good and that kind of stuff. But it's also, I feel, it's kind of nice in in that escapist sense because there is good and there is bad, but there's not often the grey that we get in sort of every day where it's like yeah. someone's a dick, but you know that they're kind of lovely at at the center yeah you know and it's just that like life is just gray like that isn't it whereas in these books there's right and there's wrong you just know where you stand yeah which maybe is totally fucked up like maybe it's fucked us up as a whole species because i'm saying species like every single culture in the world has access to these stories and they're important but i think that most cultures do have a version of kind of fairy tales and things like that and um yeah maybe that makes us dissatisfied with with what really happens in life and with these relationships that are (laughs) flawed not that the ones in fairy tales aren't flawed because clearly they are but they are more black and white aren't they yeah yeah, because we're just always waiting for a resolution. We're always waiting for to find out if they're the good guy or the bad guy. Yeah, and what happens in the end? Yeah, what when things just don't end sometimes? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No beginning, no end, no. So I'm watching on Netflix at the moment, and it's so cheesy and terrible. What? <laughs> it's called Once Upon a Time. Oh my god! Tell me everything. <laughs> I got I got norovirus last week. Don't worry, all good here. Absolutely Shit. fine now. Not infectious. <laughs> okay, great. It's, it's over. But um. I just felt so terrible on Thursday last week. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to watch anything challenging. Mm-hmm. And I remembered my friend Jason had gotten ill over Christmas and he'd watched this thing called Once Upon a Time on Netflix that he said was utter trash. And it is. Brilliant. Um, and it's if the fairy tale characters, all the Disney characters, lived in modern society. Is this, is it, um, <laughs> is it like animation? No, no. Okay, it's amazing. Like real, weirdly. Robert Carlyle and Jamie Dornan are in it. (laughs) You know what? Everyone's got to make a buck. No judgment. (laughs) Hashtag no judgment. But um, yeah, it's quite quite amusing seeing Rapunzel, not Rapunzel, sorry, Rumpelstiltskin and Snow White and everyone living, living in the real world. 
great. Yeah, they I'm all live in one town. Out. Check it out. They live in one town. They all live in one town called Storybrook. Storybrook. <laughs> you see what they did there? That's great. <laughs> Storybrookside. Um, also worth noting that the entire back catalogue of Dawson's Creek is now on 4OD. So once you get through story time or whatever it's called, <laughs> once upon a time, um, you can go into that. Uh, I mean, I, I, maybe it is worth talking about things, you know, those series that we did grow up with and people grow up with now, like your Dawson's Creeks or your Gossip Girls or things mm. like that and how much they follow those tropes of the kind of fairy tale, good, bad, the wicked witch or the wicked mother or the wicked kid at school. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, I suppose a lot of kids' first experience of films is Disney and they're obviously a lot of them fairy tales and stuff. And then as you kind of go on, some kind of teenage films do adhere pretty pretty strictly to, to that kind of formula as well. So there's like, you know, the school bullies and, and stuff like that. It's pretty clear yeah. who's the good guy, who's the bad guy. I don't know. I, I, think, I think maybe something that we haven't, quite touched on is is the magical element of it and just the joy of that aspect which I suppose for me as a musician is um is something that I think about a lot and actually we we reference um I think for for almost everything we've ever recorded or written um we reference some of these like fantasy books there's a film called um the last unicorn which is i think it's like a japanese animation um but the book is by a guy called peter s beagle and he wrote it in the 60s um and the book is so beautiful it's like the most amazing love story but it's unicorns and witches and wizards and princes and kings and dragons and all sorts of other things um but the film is well worth a watch. All star cast voicing it. Angela Lansbury. Oh my God. Yeah, what a queen. Um, Christopher Lee, um, Mia Farrow. I think America performed the songs from it. Anyway, that's brilliant. And um, I'm just kind of listing things that I like now, but <clears throat> there's something about the, the complete otherness of those worlds which allows you to be childlike again and something about that I think allows your imagination to to really feel free which is really helpful in the creative process and so then when we're making music they're the things that I draw on that those those moments when yeah when imagination is at your fingertips and you're you know you're make-believe playing all day and mm. And that stuff is just kind of part of your language. There's no barrier between real and unreal. Do you think that's something that we lose as we grow up, especially with, you know, modern technology, where instead of looking out a window maybe and daydreaming, you're just like looking at Twitter on your phone and everyone's shouting at you in a northern accent? Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, absolutely it is. Um, and maybe now more than ever, although... Obviously, I've only been a grown-up in this time, so I don't really know what it was like before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think I think that's probably true. And who doesn't want a bit more 
kind of magic and creative freedom in their lives. Because that's like one of my favourite things to do is to just like have a daydream, really. Yeah. And that's what I did for 90% of my time in school, unfortunately. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the lovely things about travelling, um, especially in other countries where like your phone doesn't work or yeah. whatever. And you do get to just look out the window on a six-hour train ride or whatever. There's supposed to be something about the rhythm of a train, something mm. about the movement of a train that's really conducive to letting your thoughts run and kind of having those imaginative ideas. Yeah. And it's it's, it's so true. I, mean, I, I went up to Glasgow several times, like back and forth last summer, and I would take a book with me and I would have my like phone with podcasts and everything. I'd, most of the time I'd just end up staring out the window. Yeah. And I feel like that's something that's maybe underrated. Definitely, definitely. Uh, yeah, cars and I remember like being a kid and making up songs in the back of the cars, in the back of like my parents' car as you're driving, we'll be driving back from Wales or something. And yeah, it it there's this transient landscape going past you, and you can you can put anything you want out there, and then it's gone. Or you can use that as a stimulus to create anything you want in your in your mind it's it's a sort of a very specific trance that you trance like state that you go into when you're traveling yeah especially car and rail yeah it's um yeah it's magic we haven't spoken about the chronicles of narnia at all oh yeah was that one of your favorites as well well it was although again i'm revealing myself to be a bit of a charlatan because i don't even know if i've read all of them i had I had all the books as a kid and I definitely read the first like four mm. um but as with most people the Lion, the witch and the wardrobe is the one that kind of sticks but I think the one before the first one the magician's nephew is the best see this is how much of a luddite I am I didn't know there was anything more than the Lion, the witch and the wardrobe yeah well the joy <laughs> of um the magician's nephew is that you get to which I came to second, so I already knew The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe, and then I read the first book. And then you realise things about The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. For instance, let me blow your mind. So these kids go to Narnia, as Narnia is being created by Aslan, and um, they take an apple from this tree and they bring it back to our world and... They plant it and it grows into a tree and the guy gets, the guy who's planted it gets old and stuff. And then one day the tree is blown over in a terrible storm and he has the wood chopped up and made into a wardrobe. <gasps> no. Fact. That's good. So you get little tidbits like that, which are like, oh, really whoa. Um, but there's something about, there's something about C.S. Lewis. It's a bit too religious for me. And I'm not a religious person. I was going to say this because Philip Pullman's been criticised for his Dark Materials trilogy for being too anti-religious. I could not believe it. So the first book of um, his Dark Materials um, was made into a film. I think it was by Disney and they had to call it The Golden Compass. Why do oh they have yeah. to call things different names in America? I was I told not to watch that. Apparently it's yeah, not very good. You but were right. Yeah, they always that. remake our sitcoms as well. Why? I don't know. With the f with them trying to make them into films, I couldn't believe that Disney had taken it on because in the final book, spoiler alert, if you haven't read these books, 
oh wait i haven't read these books okay i oh. won't do a spoiler then oh no no i won't do a spoiler <laughs> but it is super super anti-religious and philip pullman's a very outspoken atheist and um and i really like that i really like that because before that you have you have C.S. Lewis and you have Tolkien and obviously there are others, but I'll just give you the bestsellers. <laughs> um, <laughs> and everything is, it's not sanitized, that's way too harsh, but there is, it is this kind of cut and dry, right and wrong. There's, it's sexless. There is no, there is no sex in these books. There is no like, not even in Lord of the Rings. No. Really? I mean, I've only watched the first one. I don't, honestly don't remember the the other two. I'm going to I'm going to watch them though cuz I've okay. started now. <laughs> but <laughs> do, does does like um Liv Tyler not get it on with I think they have a kiss, go, oh. but I think that's mainly filmy and not so much booky. Right, yeah. Um and even in the film, I mean, it's not like yeah, there's like the idea of love, but it doesn't feel real. It's not like, oh yeah, I can see why they love each other and they fancy each other and stuff like that. Whereas in Philip Pullman's books, it's set around the idea of adolescence and mm. there is sex in there. And there is like, not like porn sex, but there's like the like, idea God, of like to come? changing bodies and like confusing <laughs> feelings and like right, yeah. sexual stuff. It's not Awakening. a taboo area. Totally. And for kids to be reading about that is super important. And again, it's in this kind of safe space, but it's um, it's real. It's more human somehow than um, yeah than lions and witches and wardrobes, which I also love. Can I tell you a uh, Lord of the Rings Christian sex story? Yes, <laughs> a thousand times yes. <laughs> My brother is like very religious. He and his wife are you know, proper Christians, and at his wedding his best man gave a speech and he loves Lord of the Rings, always has. And the best man's speech ended with, oh, we all know that Francis loves Lord of the Rings. He's even got Aragon's sword on his wall. Hope he's not trying to make up for something. I guess Sarah will find out tonight. Wow. My dad just went pink. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> I literally don't know what to say. <laughs> but I will raise you that story for my Lord of the Rings story, which is, um, I was sad to say that I wasn't there. It's going to be a much better story if I say I was there. It was too late. I've outed myself. I wasn't there. But a friend of mine went to see Lord of the Rings, obviously super, super excited about it. Went to see the first one in the cinema when it came out. And um, at the end because it's like three and a half hours long or something. Um, at the end, he and my other friend came out, tears streaming, just like, oh my God, that was amazing. It was so great. Like, what about this bit? What about that bit? And whoa, blah, blah, blah. When Gandalf died, like, OMG. And um, and then my friend looked down and said, um, did you like spill your drink? And he said, uh, no, I pissed myself. <laughs> And, uh, and he said, "What? Uh, why? And he went, oh, well, I knew I needed the toilet about an hour in and I made the decision not to go because 
I couldn't possibly miss a second of this film. So I consciously chose to just piss myself in the cinema no. rather than miss a second of this film. And hashtag no regrets. Oh, my, as someone who has seen that film, you can afford to miss a second of it. I actually disagree. And I think he <laughs> made the right call. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Wow. Well, respect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, big up yourself. Shout out to Brad. <laughs> um, you know who you are. <laughs> um, was there anything else that you want to discuss? Because I feel like we're just we're just falling into anecdotes now. Well, I mean, I kind of want to discuss everything, but I think I'm I don't have any answers, and sometimes I just frustrate myself thinking about these things, and maybe I should read some books about stories to learn some answers. Like I haven't read any young, so I don't know about the archetypes. And I want to read more about the seven, you know, there's only seven plots for stuff right, in the world. Yeah. So there's like overcoming the monster and rags to riches and- I think I did this in like and A-level media studies. Right, yeah. yeah. So I, I want to know more more about this stuff. But do you not think that would ruin it? No, I don't. I don't think anything could possibly ruin it. Because I used to love, I was like obsessed with film when I was doing my A-levels. And then I was like, right, I'm going to do film at uni. And I went to uni and I did journalism, film and broadcasting. Mm. And I took film in my first year and it just ruined watching films for me. Because mm. suddenly you're just trying to dissect the mise-en-scene. I know what you mean. I, I went to a gig, um, I don't know, maybe a couple of months ago with my sister and we sort of, you know, you sort of say, oh, I like this and I don't like this. And you're kind of having a bit of a whisper um, during the breaks between songs. And she sort of turns to me halfway through and just said, do you think that being musicians has killed our ability to enjoy music? <laughs> and I was like, oh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> um, no, it hasn't. But it's taken a chunk out for sure. Yeah. And I wish I had some of the naivety that I used to have because everything was so much more enjoyable before you know how it all works. Maybe that's where the magic comes from, the fantasy novels and not knowing how it all works. Because it's not set in our world, it's set in some strange creation in some yeah. author's head. And I am in awe of of all these authors who are able to create these languages creatures worlds like entire worlds i don't know how they manage to keep track of it all right do you know what i mean because you can come up with like a new name for a potato or something but if you're writing like <laughs> thousands of words how are you going to remember that you called a potato a fligamawatts yeah like two thousand four thousand pages later or yeah, whatever pages no idea. words there's paragraphs. an amazing author called patrick rothfuss and he is from Wisconsin, I think. So he's in the Midwest too. And he's written, um, again, a trilogy. Um, God, what are they called? The King Killer Chronicles. And um, I think he's writing the third book at the moment. I'm sure there'll be the next Game of Thrones dramatized things. And they are just, they're huge tomes, like really big books, again, Get the audiobook. Rupert Agus, he's the best voice actor out there, I swear. Um, and yeah, I just marvel at his creativity. I mean, 
I know these characters like I know them I wonder how they're doing like I think <laughs> about them it's they are insanely good stories and uh and again I've listened to them and they are they are long long audiobooks but I think I've listened to them four times um yeah in the last couple of years they're just fantastic I love them I love how elements from from I suppose modern life are represented in these fantasy stories as as well for instance Harry Potter uh, is this the first Harry Potter mention this is Maybe the first is. mention um the Dementors I love how she how she shows like mental health issues like she wrote the Dementors about depression and what it feels like to be in like the icy grip of depression and feeling like there's all the joy has been sucked out of you and there's nothing to live for and you're hopeless and all the worst things that you could possibly think about yourself are there and in lord of the rings like with frodo the weight of the ring or even the feeling when the wraiths are near you or i don't know those those things like Everyone can relate to elements of that and being in the real grips of it. Um, a friend of mine's a therapist and she, she said it's really helped um, some people she works with to talk about um, mental health problems or, or not even mental health problems, but anyone who's having counselling or therapy or whatever for whatever they're going through. Um, hence, I guess, drama therapy art therapy, story therapy, um, being such important tools because these are ways that we can explain our deepest, darkest emotions in a way that other people understand. And also, again, in a safe way that's maybe one removed from yourself or one removed from reality so that you can really kind of hit those painful areas without it causing you too much pain, you know? No, I know what you mean. And I also think maybe those books are so good for children as well, because especially the Harry Potter books kind of taught kids how to grow up and like what is right, what is wrong, to believe in yourself and to like be courageous and to you know not want to be a Slytherin, be a Gryffindor. Yeah. Um, my last Harry Potter point would be there is a guy, I think he was on BuzzFeed or something like that, but he wrote um, Harry Potter from the point of view of Hermione. He hasn't written it, but it's like it's a series of still images from the films with just his own words. And I think it's called Hermione Granger and the Goddamn Patriarchy. <laughs> and it's so funny and it is worth looking up and having a read. Do you notice quite a lot of crossover between the themes in those in those texts? Oh, yeah. Like between philip pullman's like i can I, I feel like when i was reading um northern lights there was mm. a lot where i was like oh it's a bit harry potter yeah or, i mean he wrote he wrote his first didn't he he oh yeah i guess I so. that 20, came out before 23 years ago i think the first one came out yeah so it's 20 years ago harry potter yeah and you know like how the the ring in lord of the rings is a bit like a horcrux yes totally there's a lot of similarities with 
Lord of the Rings and Harry Potter. And there's a lot of similarities. Did you ever read the worst witch books when you were little? Oh my God. Jill Murphy. I haven't thought about those in years. Miss Hardbrim, Professor Snape. <gasps> Mildred Hubble, Harry Potter. Miss Cackle, Bloody Dumbledore. Miss <clears throat> really? um, Cackle's Academy for Witches. Hello, Hogwarts. <laughs> but... I doubt that Jill Murphy was the first person to come up with that either. So they are... Professor Xavier's School for Gifted Children. Right. Whatever it was called. People don't tire of these. These stories are retold and retold and retold because there is a need, there is a mysterious need for us to hear these stories again and to identify with different characters and to have them take slightly different shapes so that we can... Who's the hero now? Who's the villain? Who's the this? What would I be? Where? I mean, how... How many times have you said, like, with your friends, and this is not a fantasy thing, but, like, oh, my God, you're so Rachel, or you would be Joey, and who would be... Oh, my God, who would be Carrie, and who would be Everyone used to do Sex in the City. Oh, God, it was so annoying. Everywhere you went, it was like, oh, we're four girls. Which one are you? Yeah, well, I've got dark hair, but I've totally got a wild side, so I feel like I'm... Anyway. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But, like, I, I have that with Lord of the Rings. Would I be Frodo? Do you think I could do that? I don't know. I feel like I'd probably be Pippin. No. Yeah. You're Gimli. I probably am. Although <laughs> I don't know. I don't know if I'm strong enough. <laughs> oh, I'd bloody love to have a beard like that. <laughs> Truly. Yeah, I know what you mean. They're just almost like guides to help you figure life out. Yeah. That's how they feel sometimes. When you read those books and when you watch those films, you do think, what would I do? Like, yeah. where, would I be able to do that? I could totally do that. I would, yeah. And maybe we're longing for a time where we could prove ourselves. I went out with a guy once who was, who was quite romantic and he was, um, and I remember him kind of getting quite upset one day, just saying like, I wish there was a way that I could sort of prove like I'd I'd fight someone or I'd go and like I'd go on some quest and I'd get you like a sword or I'd do a thing or or what if we were separated for you know months or years because I was off at some war and we had to write to each other and like there is a romanticism about these things it didn't last but um (laughs) (laughs) there's a romanticism which I really understood in what he was saying but then also setting the bar too high because we all know that the most romantic thing is when you come home and like someone's made you dinner or they've done the washing yes. up or they've like they've done like those little things for you that you can't actually be bothered to do. Totally. But they're harder to Have you ever felt like that though that you'd want to like there's there's some it's not even that you consciously want to do something like a grand gesture but you sort of wish there was the opportunity or you watch these like period dramas and you think, yeah, if you were away, if we were separated by however much distance or time, what would my letters to you be like? And would I write them every day? I think I would. But I this is I the problem with being in the real world because it's called FaceTime and it's really oh easy. Oh God, no, <laughs> it's not as much effort. But uh, maybe it's maybe I'm just an old romantic. I keep all my letters, I have all of those things in various shoeboxes <laughs> but um yeah video messages i don't keep oh no that'd be really weird if you were recording them oh yeah no <laughs> but but i meant more like if someone sent you a video message <laughs> but oh, i know what you mean it would be nice to like go on an adventure 
and have totally. to like challenge yourself. But then also I think that it's lazy to think we can't have that because we don't live in a magical fantasy realm. Yeah. Because there's so many things that you can do in modern life to like challenge yourself and to, you know, not every hero wears a cape. Truth. And there are other ways that that people find to kind of explore those aspects of humanity. Like there's that film out at the moment, Mountain, like which is about people climbing mountains and like what is it that drives people to I mean you can bloody die like what is it that drives human beings to like have to conquer the summit have to get to the top have to risk your life to prove that I don't I mean I don't know that's an alien concept to me or people that run marathons or do extreme I don't know, physical challenges, like that's not my world at all. It really isn't. I cannot stress that (laughs) (laughs) enough. (laughs) But um, yeah, these feats of endurance or people that go and live in silence for, I don't know, they go on fasts or they go on meditation retreats or whatever it is. I think there's an element within most of us that wants to get back to some kind of basic form of what it is to be alive and what it means to be a human being and however you find that for me I find it in music and I find it in fantasy literature a big thanks to Emily and shortly after recording this podcast she did send over a fairly long email but it is quite detailed and sometimes when you're sitting there having a laugh with someone chatting back and forth you do sort of forget what you wanted to say and sometimes you got off on tangents and it's quite a lot of fun so this i thought let's read it out let's read out the email that she sent she said hi jen hope you're well i've been thinking a lot about our podcast chat and kicking myself for not mentioning lots of things that i planned on talking about i feel like i just kind of repeated the same point over and over again i should have gotten my notes out i should have made notes emily don't worry about it i wish i'd talked about how philip pullman describes his writing process He says he's obsessed with the rhythm of each sentence, which fascinates me. He has a wonderful awareness of his audience and the relationship between the reader and the narrator. That narrator is kind of an invisible character and not necessarily the voice of the author. That's often the same for us when we're writing songs. There's so many parallels between writing music and writing fiction. Pullman talks of the surprise he feels when a scene he's writing unfolds. He's discovering what Lyra says for the first time she meets Yorick, just as if he were there watching it happen, not making it happen. I feel like that all the time in music. The hypersensitivity you have to what's going on around you makes the next step almost an impulse. You do something without consciously deciding to make your move. It's improvisation, it's a conversation, it's channeling something subconscious and its mysteriousness is endlessly intriguing. Decision-making is another part of his books that resonates with me, that sliding doors idea of one moment changing and actually ultimately not changing the course of a person's life. There are multiple worlds within Pullman's books. What doesn't happen in one world does happen in another. He talks about the toss of a coin. While the coin is in the air, both possible outcomes are equal, but as soon as it lands, only one has happened and the other has been extinguished forever. I think about that a lot. I feel like there's a huge social anxiety about this in our world today. We have so much choice, so many possibilities. The fear of missing out is palpable. It can be overwhelming and paralysing, and social media doesn't help. Your choices are all public and open to criticism. 
decisiveness becomes some kind of superpower. When I'm in the studio, often the challenge is as simple as deciding in which direction to take the song. Quotes, when you choose one way out of many, all the ways you don't take are snuffed out like candles, as if they'd never existed. At that moment, all Will's choices existed at once, but to keep them all in existence meant doing nothing. He had to choose after all. End quotes. Each idea that you choose means you eliminating a thousand other possibilities. And you've got to take responsibility for that. It can't just be me that finds that terrifying sometimes. There are endless versions of each and every song out there in the universe. Maybe that's why people cover each other's music still. And then there's fate. Because the alethiometer predicts something, does that mean it's fixed? Do we have free will? Lee Scoresby, the aeronaut, describes this beautifully with Serafina Pekula, the witch. But anyway, making decisions is how you move forward. That's how anything happens. Just a series of small decisions, putting one foot in front of the other. That's how seemingly ordinary people, Lyra, Frodo, Bilbo, come to do extraordinary things. In The Lord of the Rings, Bilbo says, It's a dangerous business, Frodo, going out your front door. You step onto the road and if you don't keep your feet, there's no knowing where you might be swept off to. Talking about his writing process on Radio 4 a while ago, Pullman kind of describes his creative process just like that. Just start and let the story take you from there. Another aspect I love about the His Dark Materials trilogy is the wonderful creation of the daemons. Each person has a physical manifestation of their soul which accompanies them throughout their lives, never straying more than a few feet away. And they're animal formed. Can you imagine what it would be like to meet someone and see which type of animal represented them? Everybody's true nature would be that much more exposed. And for yourself, you would know who you are that little bit more. That's one of the greatest quests known to humankind, isn't it? To know oneself, to never feel alone. In the book, accepting your nature and not trying to be anything else comes up again and again. The greatest strength you can have is to know who you are and be yourself, fully and without apology. If a part of yourself took a physical shape, then I also think it would be easier to show self-love, unconditional love. Lyra has to go through many perils with her daemon Pan, and the love felt between them is incredibly powerful. Through the daemons, Pullman perfectly expresses the deep relationship one has with oneself and the human need for love. At one point, Lyra asks a sailor, but suppose your daemon settles in a shape you don't like? And he answers her, well, then you're discontented, aren't you? There's plenty of folk as would like to have a lion as a daemon and they end up with a poodle. Until they learn to be satisfied with what they are, they're going to be fretful about it. Waste of feeling, that is. I wish I'd spoken about John Connolly's The Book of Lost Things. On the cover it says, this is for every adult who can remember their childhood and every child who is about to lose theirs. It contains all sorts of weird and wonderful twisted versions of classic fairy tales and really conjures up that nostalgia for childhood and the pain of leaving your youth behind. Oh, and Oscar Wilde's A House of Pomegranates, a brilliantly dark children's stories, accompanied by Aubrey Beardsley's signature strange and sexual illustrations. I could go on and on about the idea of social conscience within fantasy writing, parallels with historical events within fantasy, the emphasis of not underestimating youth and the archetypes we all have inside us. But I don't have all day, and I imagine you don't either. So I'll sign off here and hope that I haven't bored you to tears. Thank you very much, Emily. I think we should do a second podcast. I think we need a sequel. You have been listening to Talk The Line. I'm Jen Long. You can find our show notes and previous episodes at talktheline.blog. Perhaps we'll put that email up there as well. Next week, I am talking to Fred McPherson from Spectre about Pizza Express. 
This podcast is produced by Paul Bridgewater with original music by Seams. It is a podcast from the line of Best Fit. Please subscribe, follow us on social media, or if you are feeling really lovely, leave us a nice review. See you next week.